Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 234. Out now on DVD and digital is The Velocipasta, a tongue-in-cheek horror thriller unlike anything you've ever seen, in which its main character, a Catholic priest, is cursed with the ability to transform into a flesh-eating dinosaur. A bloody, funny, positively ridiculous, yet surprisingly sincere, sure-to-be cult classic, the Velocipasta is recommended fun for those who love Grindhouse-style exploitation cinema with a heart. Joining me now to talk about the film is the film's writer and director, Brendan Steer. Brendan, I thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. So, I was doing a bunch of research, um, listening to some previous interviews of yours, and the origins of the film, or at least the spark for the idea, was really interesting, because essentially, the idea for the Velocipasta is that it was a typo. Is this correct? That is very correct, yes. An autocorrect, in fact. <laughs> How does an autocorrect lead to a movie? Um, good question. <laughs> I, I think that you just kind of, um, you kind of got to be open to inspiration striking from anywhere, you know? Especially when you're just in the very beginning stages of when you're thinking about doing a movie. Um, it, it truly can be anything. It can be the shape of a building that, like, inspires you and you're sort of, uh, it sparks your imagination and you start thinking, like, what could be in that building? What could they do there? You know, stories can come from anywhere. So it's, I, I think it's funny that, you know, the Velocipaster has been quite successful in the press. And I think that it's it's ironic in some ways that it started with something so haphazard and human and small as a mistake <laughs> and it's sort of like i don't know you just got to be open to finding that spark wherever it may be whether that's in a lyric of a song or or, or you know just a conversation you're having with somebody or your phone messing up so <laughs> i think you've just got to be open to uh to that stuff coming from anywhere i just want to touch on the pastor part of the velocity pastor i mean when you talk about holy men or pastors or what have you, um, especially in the Christian context of things, there's many different denominations you can touch into, and they can take you down different paths as well. In the case of your film, your main character is a Catholic priest, and I'm, I'm curious as to why you chose a Catholic, the Catholic religion to, um, to, to look at as your main character as opposed to another religion. I know you touched on, uh, I think, Catholicism before with a short film called Confession from several years back. Was the mm -hmm. remnants from that something that still stuck with you, and that's why you you you, kept, you continued on down that road? Well, what was the decision to stick with this denomination as opposed to others? Yeah, um, I am not Catholic. I am not Christian whatsoever. I I don't have a faith, but I've always been interested in Catholicism in specific because the narrative that they view their faith through is very self-punitive it's like the the whole the the emphasis of catholicism is sort of uh life is suffering we are all bad people and you can basically only do very small things to like maybe kind of redeem yourself and i always just thought that was an in interesting conflicted place for a character to be that they have already in their brains kind of failed or are kind of bad people I think it just leads to a lot more, um, you know, uh, uh, in some ways, self-reflection 
um, it's like, you know, a lot of the greatest religious films of all time are from Catholic filmmakers. Something like Silence is an incredible film. And, and I am just, I've always been interested in that, um, I guess that even though I am not a person of faith, you understand what it's like to believe in something and believe in something so strongly that when something comes along to question that, it's traumatic. And, like, it, you know, it's something worth making a film about. At the end of the day, it's just a metaphor for how you define yourself, what your beliefs are. And, like, Doug defines himself as being a good person in a certain way, and by the end of the movie, he defines himself as being a good person in a completely different way. And it's that that is essentially his journey. And I just think it's really, uh, you know, um, people of faith, uh, that journey is very... Um, what's the word uh apparent it's very obvious because it's sort of something that it, they are defining themselves through especially a priest i'm a catholic myself a practicing catholic and i always found that when it came to catholicism and movies that the, the religion lends itself well because of the visual aspects as well um, that, yes absolutely agree and um, especially like when you look at classic horror films like say the classic hammer horror stuff or maybe the universal stuff especially vampire films werewolf films and I find mm -hmm. the Velocipasta to be like a riff on like the classic kind of werewolf uh, movie itself. Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, so, uh, I, so I, I kind of I see where you're coming from, but I think there's that visual element to it as well. In fact, I, I've kind of uh, um, coined a, a phrase, a term in my reviews in regards to some of these films um, that blends the two worlds, and I call it calfsploitation. Um, <laughs> um because it kind of touches on that stuff and it kind of you just twists it a bit to suit the narrative of the film and, and the look of it as well. Um, right. I just want to move on now to... This isn't the first time you put the Vel Velocipasta on screen. You had a trailer in 2011. This was a project for uh, film school that you were doing at the time? Uh, yes, it was. And when you see the success of that idea... Um, especially since it kind of went viral. I think at the time you had like 50,000 views on this short, short film slash trailer. Does that when the kind of spark hits, like, you know what, we can really flesh this out and, and, and do something with it? Yes. Um, well, at the very least, it, it, it was the first thing I made where it found an audience. Hmm. And, and it was kind of... I, I, it, it sounds self-serving but you know as a filmmaker part of doing your art is people have to see it like you can make the greatest film of all time but if nobody sees it you kind of didn't you know <laughs> and so i don't think it is necessarily self-serving or cynical to chase an audience to an extent and so i i very much realized that there was an audience for this material and they were interested in it and i wanted to chase down what interested them and me about it because it wouldn't go away from my head either. <laughs> I just kept sort of turning it over and, and thinking about what I would do with a feature-length Velocipaster more and more and more. And so after a certain time, even though, uh, even though the only other film I had made was like a very serious horror film, so this was a strange career move, but I was just like, it's undeniable. There's something in me that wants to tell this story, and I'm, I'm not being true to myself legitimately as an artist by not pursuing it 
Um, I speak. I talk to a lot of independent filmmakers, and a lot of them talk to me about their experiences with crowdfunding, um, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, or all, 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 all sorts of crowdfunding uh, uh, platforms. You yourself right. uh, attempted a couple of times to raise some funds. It didn't work out for yourself, so you went to a private investor who pretty much put up the, the bulk of the funds for you. Um, the crowdfunding part of it for you, um, considering the interest you had for the trailer. Um, and, and and such when you go down the crowdfunding road and you find that that interest isn't there financially do you think it came down to just the, the fact that the idea the merging of you know two very distinct different type of horror genres and one's kind of like that dinosaur prehistoric thing another one's kind of like a werewolf riff it just maybe didn't uh, the, the idea of it just didn't work with people enough to want to put their hard earned um, on, the, on the table I think that there are certain um, pieces of art that people don't know they want until they exist. Right. <laughs> like, and, and I think that that was the central problem with something like Velocipaster is just that, like, crowdfunding it, I mean, um, is that people wanted it, but they weren't sure what it would be. Like, like they, they weren't sure if this was going to be, like, sort of a broad trauma-esque um, gross-out comedy, they didn't know if this was going to be a, like, you know, um, a Sharknado kind of thing, a sincere attempt to make a low-budget creature feature. I think they were a little just confused tonally, and because it wasn't as specific as it should have been, they didn't uh, want to pay for it. So it's, you know, I, I think it's it's funny that a lot of the uh, press about the film overall has been like, oh, shit, it's good. What? <laughs> And I, I think that that's pretty indicative of maybe why people wouldn't want to uh, <clears throat> uh, fund it, because they just were not sure if it would be a good investment of their money. Um, and yeah, I think that there's there's something to the fact that uh, it's a big there's a big difference in asking somebody to watch your completed film. And essentially asking somebody to believe in a film that has not yet been made. And I, I you know, it just uh, didn't work out for us this time. I'm not a fan of crowdfunding in general, I must say. <laughs> I just find it very stressful and um, uh, just not, not what I'm good at. I'm good at making movies, not getting money for them. <laughs> so you have your initial idea... You have your first character. You have your funding. Now you need to flesh out your world, and you inhabit your world with different sorts of characters that come. That that some of them just come from like way from left field. Um, so <laughs> on, on one hand, you have kind of like your prostitute love interest, which kind of suits the kind of thing we like with the of, of opposing uh, uh, forces. On one hand, a Catholic priest. One hand, a prostitute. Okay, that's fine. Of course, from a prostitute, you've got a pimp. So you've got what people name. And I love the name Frankie fucking Mermaid. I think it's just fantastic. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, you got ninjas. And not yes. not only ninjas, and I don't want to give away plot details, but ninjas with a very specific kind of uh, motivation behind them, which you wouldn't see coming from, from any kind of in, in any mm -hmm. way whatsoever. Um, yeah. <laughs> how, where do you grab these elements from, especially the ninjas part? Is that just a fact that you just like, you know, fuck it, I got a dinosaur, let's put some ninjas in here as well? Uh, that's not entirely far off. <laughs> I, I was trying to... Because you're doing an interesting thing. Not only, um, not only are you doing a riff on the, the werewolf genre and, like you said, the sort of cat exploitation stuff, 
Um, but you're also just sort of riffing on um, low-budget movies, period. And, like, that sort of exploitation subgenre. And one of the tenets of those is they always go for, like, these big, loud plot points. Like, like if it's something that you can't shout about, it should not be in your movie. <laughs> um, and it's a, it was a marketing scheme for them. And so the ninjas, to me, were sort of riffing on that. Like, of course there's ninjas in this movie. <laughs> because why wouldn't there be? Because we need something extreme to catch attention because it's a low-budget movie. And I will also say, honestly, the ninjas I went for just because I thought they sounded the most fun. I had seen a um, this movie called Miami Connection, yeah. which is just essential viewing, in my opinion. I love that movie. And it, it just it presents ninjas as being part of its world so gleefully and with so little explanation. Like, like it's not, they don't, why are there ninjas in Miami? <laughs> and the film is not concerned with that. The film is just sort of like, yes, of course there are ninjas in, my, in Miami next. <laughs> and it just keeps moving forward. And I wanted to sort of emulate that, um, the, the guts it took to do that, to just sort of be like, yep, ninjas, anyway, <laughs> and just keep plowing forward. The thing I, I that really took my surprise with, with your movie is that, yes, you were looking going for a tone. You wanted to be purposefully schlocky, exploitative, uh, kind of like that grindhouse thing that uh, really kind of kicked off again uh, 10 years ago when uh, Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did their double feature. Um, but there's also a sincerity to it as well. And, and it wasn't kind of like in that kind of... Um, uh, unintentional kind of way like you talk about Miami Connection that movie was made for all intents and purposes to be a serious movie that's what makes it such a bad film because it's just way off the mark of where the person's going um, yeah. and something like Short Sharknado you touched on before that was made with the intention of purposely being a bad movie I mean the premise itself uh, it just lends itself to that but right. your film when I watched it there are parts in that that really surprise me. And I'm going to use, for example, you have a sex scene in a movie. Now, you yes. could have gone in an exploitation road and made something really kind of tasteless or what have you, but it didn't come out that way. There's a sincerity between the characters and the way it was edited. And then you had the music on top of it. Well, there's this really great song on top of it, really catchy, yeah. really had emotion behind it as well. And I want to just touch on the music a little later. And I just want to talk about, like, just let's use the sex scene, for example. You could have sure. done something totally different. You could have done something really dirty or tacky, but you didn't. Um, the decision not to. The decision to really touch into the relationship that these two characters had. Granted, they're in a movie that's an exploitation film, that's a schlocky exploitation film, a low-budget film, but you. But it seemed to me you really want to touch on, hey, this is a love story. These characters are in love, and it's going it to it help um, because we're going to put some stakes um, in, in this story. Yes. Well, it, it, uh, I'm so happy that you sort of touched on that. Um, so two, it's two thoughts. Um, first and foremost is sort of at large the entirety of the movie. When people talk about good, bad movies, um, a subject I have spent a large portion of my life thinking about now, <laughs> um, I think why we love watching these films is the sincerity behind them. Like, the room is so sincere. It, it is so uh, almost like... Um, th there's no cynicism to it. He's not trying to make a bad movie. He's sincerely trying to make a great film. 
And the, I think to an extent with Velocipaster, that was true. And I wanted to, I, I knew that genuinely I had to be sincere in wanting this to be good. And I did. And it sort of, it, it, it's, I, we do that partially through Doug and Carol's relationship because my worry is that in a lot of movies, like a Sharknado, where it's coming more from a place of cynicism or, or sort of a, a vaguely um, cruel place, like sort of like a fuck these movies kind of place. I wanted to portray how much I genuinely loved these films and how I really respected that artists, regardless of how inept they were, did something kind of courageous and really put it themselves out there and put a dream out there. That's why watching them fail is satisfying, because in fact they are succeeding. It's just that they are succeeding in displaying a very strange vision of the world. And so with Doug and Carol's romance, I wanted to make it real. I wanted to make actual stakes be there, like you said, because my thought was in... Not, not to just keep using this specific movie as a punching bag, but... In something like a Sharknado, like you don't really care about the characters because the movie doesn't care about the characters. Yeah. And after a certain point, it just kind of becomes boring. Like, yes, it's silly, and yeah, there is some surface stuff to get from it from that sense, but I don't really care about Ian Ziering. I don't even remember his character's name. I remember him as the actor. And I wanted to avoid that. My thought was that Velocipaster is so um, sort of ludicrously bizarre that the audience would need some real emotion to connect to. No matter how small, they needed some sense of reality to follow these characters through to the end and hopefully learn to empathize with and care about them. So whenever I was approaching Doug and Carol's romantic moments, they had to play in my brain as sincere and real. Because also, I, in a weird sense, it's me showing how much I really do love these quote-unquote bad movies. And also, I knew that for Velocipasters to succeed as a bad film, I needed to have real emotion in it. I, I needed to have something I cared about. And, uh, and so, yeah, when it came time to doing the sex scene, that was very much the intention. I will also say, um, from a... This isn't, this isn't as cool to say, <laughs> but from a self-conscious place, the sex scene in specific... I was really, I was a little concerned making the Velocipaster that people would just sort of assume we were bad. Like, right. they might not be in on the joke enough, and they might just think that we just had no idea what we were doing. And so I knew they ha there had to be one scene in the movie that we just made the hell out of. And it would sort of recontextualize everything you saw earlier and afterwards as very much intentional. Because we knew what we were doing here, so go but yeah that was the uh that's how i went about it the music itself you've got some really great track tracks here uh rock kind of punk kind of uh style music here really catchy really kind of uh, grabs you um music that's that to me feels like um you could listen to this stuff kind of like on a compilation or a radio it doesn't necessarily isn't tied to the film but works well with the film um i know you have a band yourself was it your band provided most of the music for this film? Uh, talk us through where you got the music from and whether any possibility of a streaming uh, channel or a soundtrack will come from this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, uh, my band did the uh, the opening theme, uh, Extinction Love, which plays over the opening credits. So this is actually the second movie in a row where I had to substitute a piece of my own music because we didn't get the rights to the music that was originally there. The movie originally opened with this this kind of like really um, uh, cheesy 1970s uh, song recorded by actor Chad Everett called Jesus Hammer. And you can still hear it in some of the uploads of the trailer early on before we went to Wild Eye Distribution. We just couldn't get the rights to it. Mm. And so we, I ended up just writing a song and we put it in the movie. I had actually written the song beforehand as backup in case it came to this. Because it was the one, uh, Jesus Hammer was the one song that I was uh, afraid that we wouldn't get the rights to. And I was correct. <laughs> so yeah, we do the opening credit song, uh, My Band Free Parking. The rest, of the, ba- the rest of the songs in the movie are by two bands. This Philadelphia punk band called The Holy Mess, who is, which is run by the brother of one of the members of my band, and uh, this other band called Math the Band, who does the sex scene montage music. All this music existed beforehand, and I knew the decision to sort of go with a, a punk alt soundtrack um, descended from this anime called FLCL, which I really adore. And uh, one of the most striking things about FLCL is that the entire score, there's not even incidental music that is not done by this Japanese alt-rock band, The Pillows. They kind of sound like a punkier Weezer. They're great. And, like, it was just the decision to not do a traditional score in FLCL makes it feel so alive and so kind of vital, and it's just so different. And I read an interview with the director, and he was like, I don't know, I basically just put in a bunch of music I liked. Because <laughs> I was hoping that my love for this music would sort of, like, transfer into the series. And I kind of approached the music in, in Velocipaster with the same mentality. Like, I didn't want to put a song in the movie that I just didn't love, I, I, that I also didn't love as a song. So a lot of these, um, I don't want to say they were found in editing, because that... I was thinking about them throughout all of filming, but it it definitely, I was just listening to this kind of music a lot on the actual filming. Because I knew it was kind of a uh, a scrappy punk rock film. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the budget was 35000 It's nothing. And so I thought that maybe the ethos of those kind of low-to-no-budget punk rock songs would, would somehow... Um, just just sort of thematically be on point. Also, and like I said, most importantly, I wanted them to be bitchin' songs. Like, just ones that would... I listen to them all the time still, just because I love the music. Uh, in terms of releasing an official soundtrack, I would like to. I, I don't know if we'll be able to quite negotiate all of the... Um, all of the different rights to it, but I can absolutely assure you that we can make a playlist for it. <laughs> all of the songs exist on Spotify, so you, uh, you can do it, viewers. Uh, the power is in your hands. I hope so, because it's a great collection of songs, and, and, and very much the to tone and the, the genre of the music very much, I think, uh, just couples very well with the spirit of, of the movie, which is that kind of like, you know, working class you know low budget kind of filmmaking um mm-hmm. which which was which really just it all just blends so well um yeah and and not apologizing for it exactly like like both the music and the movie are like yeah we were made by like 10 people 
get with it. <laughs> and I really, I, I'm with you. I really liked that. I, I thought that sort of spiritually almost they, they married together well. They, they do. And it's something that really kind of like caught me by surprise. It, this is a movie, uh, and it's something I'm, I'm, I've said throughout the interview, it really does uh, catch me by surprise in, in many ways. And it's, it's a credit to you that it does. Um, Thank you. Final question. Halloween's around the corner. What's the hopes you're going to see some Velocipasto costumes out there? Uh, it would be my genuine dream come true. <laughs> I have been, I've been telling people that um, I, and I have been saying this for years, even before Velocipaster, I will, I don't want to say no, I've made it, but I will be personally incredibly fulfilled when I see either a cosplay of something I've made or read a fan fiction of it. So if anybody wants to write a Doug Frankie Mermaid slash fic, it will also uh, achieve the same thing for me. But I, I would love to see some Frankie Mermaids out there this Halloween. I think that it would just be... It, it would really um, underline to me that how much people love the movie, and that's really, at the end of the day, what you want. You want people to react to your art. And so far, they have just been doing so, so much more than I had expected in the best way possible. So for everyone out there, the Velocipastor is out there for people to watch on DVD and uh, digital as well. Um, it's all over. You can find them all over uh, Facebook, Twitter. Is that right, Brendan? You can find any all your information there? Yep. And uh, Instagram. And Instagram as well. As well. So um, be sure to watch it. Watch it with an open mind and an open heart. And I guarantee you, you will be surprised with the results there. And Brendan, I thank you very much. Congratulations to you. I mean, uh, from humble beginnings of a typo to a $35,000 budget to what I really consider to be a low budget kind of phenomenon. Because, you know, I, I, I don't think people really understand what it takes to make a film, even for like a small budget movie. It takes a lot. Uh, of uh, a lot of guts and a lot of uh, a lot of heart for for it to happen, no matter the context of the film. And I think you really did a great job here. And I, this, and I, I imagine uh, by now you will have made your money back alone, uh, just with uh, distribution and such. And and uh, and I I'm really interested to see what you're going to do uh, with the rest of your career. Um, and hopefully we can talk in the future with when other projects pop up. Yeah, I'd love that. Thank you so much. I really mean it.